Welcome to Cycle Vision, and today's episode is Managing PAE Patent Risk. I'm Nigel Schweitzer, and joined by my co-host, Francesca Lavoie. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Nigel. How are you? I'm good. Episode six coincides with my fact that I had my 60th birthday this week. How very apt. Very well-timed. Today's guest is Ken Seddon, CEO of Lot Network. A pleasure to have you with us, Ken. Thank you, Nigel, for having me, and happy birthday. Thank you very much. Hi, Ken. It's great to have you on Cypher Vision and so nice that we've got Lot Network as one of our key partner organizations. Just to kick us off, it'd be great for our listeners to hear a little bit about your background and how you came to Lot Network. Sure. I come from the high-tech industry. I was originally an engineer at Motorola. They sent me to law school where I then wrote a lot of patent applications for them. I then went on to Intel and ran their U.S. patent prosecution group. From there, I spent a lot of time in the high-tech industry and various legal functions working at Micron. I was at Apple for five years doing IP strategy and patent purchasing during the smartphone wars and have some of the scars to prove it. And then before moving on to Lot, I was the vice president of IP at Arm in Cambridge, UK. And now I've been a CEO of Lot for, geez, eight years now, almost eight years. Wow. Well, before we start talking about Lot Network, can we take it back a step to understanding what is patent risk and how are PAEs the number one patent risk out there at the moment? Yeah, sure. It's probably worth defining what a PAE is. This term gets thrown around a lot. There's PAE technically stands for patent assertion entities. Some folks also use the term NPEs, which stands for non-practicing entities, and others use the pejorative term patent trolls. We lot use the term patent assertion entities, PAEs, simply because what we're referring to are these companies, and these are legal companies, and their sole purpose in life is to buy patents on the open market and assert them against other operating companies. These PAEs don't make products, They don't have R&D. They have no other purpose in life other than to monetize patents by asserting them against other operating companies. We, in particular, a lot use the term PAE simply because we're trying to distinguish from individual inventors or universities who also don't make products, but we don't consider universities or individual inventors to be patrols or part of the problem that we're trying to address. So why do PAEs, patent assertion entities, why do they have such a bad reputation? Well, I think it's part of the narrative that was created by the high-tech industry in an effort to try to rally support and interest with Congress, with the Supreme Court, with the White House, to try to lobby for patent reform to try to address this issue. Every year, patent assertion entities will file anywhere from 2,000 to three to 4,000 patent lawsuits a year in the United States against the high-tech industry. And it was causing the industry to have to spend billions every year just defending these lawsuits and billions more settling these lawsuits. So the industry was looking for solutions, and their first solution was to look to Congress, to the patent office, to the judiciary to try to solve this problem. And they just try to villainize these entities by giving them the the bad rap, the bad name, I think. But the reality is a patent is a patent. It's a piece of property. 
And I don't think the nature of the property should change just because a company sells it to somebody else. It's still a patent. It's just change hands in the ownership. I think about an organization investing a lot in R&D, developing innovation, applying for that patent, spending quite a bit of investment on that. Why are they then selling them? And then why are they ending up in the hands of PAEs? Well, again, a patent is just an asset of a company. Companies go through life cycles and they might decide to exit one business area and go in a different direction. And so they sell off all the assets related to a particular business area. Some businesses might realize they have a surplus of patents in a particular area. And so they want to sell off some of those assets. Others might realize they need to diversify their portfolio. They have too many patents in one area, so they want to sell some off to generate cash to buy patents and in other areas. Companies, when they go bankrupt, it just becomes an asset of the company and those assets get released in the open market or bankruptcy court and they they go up for sale and they're available for purchase to the highest bidder. So in many cases, it could be a deliberate sale. It could be unintentional sale. At any moment in time, our friends at AST tell us that there are about 30 to 35,000 patents for sale on the open market that anyone can buy at any moment in time. And is this a new problem or have we always had this problem? Well, I would say it's been around, there have been history lessons about trolls for 50 to 100 years, but I think it's been a serious problem for the last 25 to 30 years. It certainly got very serious around the 2005 to 2010 timeframe which led to a serious round of patent reform in the United States called the AIA, America's Invent Act. So was life a lot simpler beforehand for patent-owning organizations? Yeah, I think it was. 20, 30 years ago, if you were an in-house patent counsel, you only had to worry about who were your five or six direct competitors. And your job then would be to develop an IP strategy to make sure that you could defend yourself against the other five or six competitors. So if you were in the auto industry or the semiconductor industry or the the phone industry, your job would to simply identify who your competitors are and make sure you had enough patents that read on the products of your competitors so that you felt comfortable. You had what was referred to as mutual assured destruction so that reasonable companies wouldn't start suing each other, or you had to negotiate a cross-license and have freedom to operate. But since then, a lot of this is driven by the convergence of technology, more people are out there that have patents. If you look at some products in the high-tech industry, like semiconductors, like phones, it may take hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million patents could cover a single product. And now the number of patents that are involved in making a high-tech product has grown dramatically. And the number of potential patent holders that are out there in the world has grown dramatically. Nigel, we've done quite a bit of work around patent risk and patent risk mitigation. I think we found a similar trend in terms of PAEs being something that people are definitely worried about. Yeah, I, th- I think as Ken says, it's a very different type of problem strategically. If you think about the work that Cypher does with the community around portfolio optimization, helping companies build their portfolios to mitigate risk, 
that risk is from operating companies. Sure, as Ken says, it's not just five or 10 companies. It's a plethora of companies, whether they be disruptors, Chinese companies, startups. They can come from various walks of life and not from necessarily conventional spaces. But dealing with NPE risk is very different. They do not care about the portfolio that you own. They absolutely don't because they have no counter-assertion risk. Therefore, the validity, the benefit of the portfolio doesn't perform in the same way. So you definitely need another type of risk mitigation when dealing with PAEs. That's where some of the frustration around PAEs comes from. Traditionally, if Nigel and I were competitors in an industry, I would try to acquire patents that read on Nigel's products, and Nigel would develop a portfolio that read on my products. And we would negotiate a cross-license, or we would be at some sort of detente status, because we had each other covered. We could achieve patent peace some way or another. But that's the frustration with NPEs or PEEs is they don't make products. Your patent portfolio is useless against a patent assertion entity. You can't punch back executives and CEOs. They're like, well, what? we're spending all this money. We've got all these smart engineers. We're developing this patent portfolio. Why can't we use any of this stuff? And that's the real frustration with PEEs is your patent portfolio is not relevant when you're trying to defend yourself against an attack from a PAE. This change has been happening over the past 30 years. So the PAE risk is growing, but who's causing that growth? Where's it coming from? That's the irony of the problem. It's the high-tech industry, it's companies that are causing the problem to themselves. Anywhere from 85 to 87% of the patents that PAEs are using to sue the high-tech industry are actually being sold by companies in the high-tech industry themselves. So it's companies that are causing the very problem against themselves. The trolls then go sue other high-tech companies. They make money. They take that money and go off and buy more patents and repeat this vicious cycle. So it's a self-propagating problem against the high-tech industry and yet, historically, the high-tech industry was looking to Congress or the White House or to the judiciary to solve this problem when they themselves were the very ones causing it. Given that that's where we are, we know who's, who's causing the problems. What are the solutions to these problems? I want us to talk a little bit more about Lot Network now, because that is one solution to the PAE patent risk that's out there. It was Dan Lang at Cisco who referred to this problem as kind of the circular firing squad. The high-tech industry realized, why are we doing this to ourselves? And what Lot Network, it's a nonprofit organization. It's this community of companies who have agreed to take responsibility for the very problem it's causing. It's now over 2,100 companies who have all agreed that if any of their patents should ever fall into the hands of a patent assertion entity, then and only then do the other members of the community get this free license. So it's effectively the high-tech industry solving for this PAE risk through herd immunization. They're solving the problem on their own terms and conditions rather than relying on some governmental agency to do it for them. Everyone's making the exact same commitment that applies to all of their patents. Originally, when it first was founded, it was an idea that was a bit of an experiment but given our growth rate and curve, and we had over 700 companies join last year, 
we've doubled in size every year, and I expect to do the same this year. It's an idea that's certainly sticking and now spreading beyond just the high-tech industry as even now pharma and life sciences and just about every industry is now joining. We're proud to say that Cypher is a member of Lot Network as well. Nigel, why did we join? Look, for a small company, Cypher owns two patents. It's a no-brainer. Last time I count, and Cypher counts for a lot every month, there's 3.4 million assets under the umbrella, which means that Cypher is effectively protected. If any of those assets were to fall into the hands of an NPE, we can't be sued. For that, we have to make a commitment that if our assets were to be sold to an NPE, then they couldn't be used against the members. Well, R2 against Ken's 3.4 million. I know who got the better deal. <laughs> well, and believe me, I'm grateful that Cypher joined. We used to keep track of all the patents owned by our members in an Excel spreadsheet. And we found out the hard way that Excel has a maximum number of a million rows. And we can no longer keep track of it using simple Excel spreadsheets. So we're grateful that Cypher has the capability of keeping track of what now is the world's largest patent portfolio. It's not only knowing how many there are, 3.4 million is a lot, of course, Excel can't cope with that, but it's also what they are. Some of the things that we've been happy to help lot with is to help it explain to prospective members and to current members who need to go and just reinforce why they're there. So, you know, for automotive companies, they can see exactly how many patents Ken has in automotive, same for semiconductors, same for life sciences, and on and on. We made a really good presentation to Lot Bridge, which is their annual event, using the universal technology taxonomy just to screen those assets to provide a really objective view of just how powerful and comprehensive that portfolio is. So when we're looking at the numbers surrounding Lot Network, so 3.4 million patents under the the Lot Network umbrella, 15% of all US granted patents covered by the Lot Agreement, have you solved the problem? No, not yet. We've, we've certainly made a serious dent in it. To start this problem, we now have the second, third, fourth, and fifth largest companies in the world. We've been focusing on the largest companies with the largest portfolios to try to get as many patents as possible under the license. But now we have the long tail to go after. There's a lot of small companies to go after, and it's going to take a while to get to that. the rest of the long tail. And after we do that, then we need to figure out how to embrace the universities and then how to leverage the value of the network in the community to embrace the individual inventors. My job isn't done until we get to 100% of all high-tech patents in lot network that might be of interest to a patent assertion entity. So given that there's still quite a bit to do, what's the outlook for the lot network agenda going forward? Now, when we have so many of the most sophisticated and IP savvy companies in the world already in our community, and as as Nigel alluded to, we have an annual meeting, we get these folks together every year. When you put all these smart people in a room together, there's other problems that these people can solve in the industry. We can leverage the resources and create other value and benefits with this community. We're doing this because we don't want anybody spending money having to defend themselves on patent assertion entities. I'd rather have companies spend that money on R&D, new products, 
give it back to your shareholders. Already, a lot of network members are working together to solve the 5G problem. Cypher is also involved in that project. They have pooled large sums of resources that are analyzing all the patents that have been declared essential for 5G and identifying which ones are, are really essential and which ones are not. We have the Automobile Association is now operating under a lot. We have a diversity and inclusion group that was formed now by Google, Amazon, Disney, Meta, Microsoft, and Cruise. They're sharing all of the best known methods about how to promote diversity at their companies. We have many of our members, Google, Lenovo, Canon, Red Hat, Microsoft have donated thousands of patents to Lot, which we are giving away to startups to try to help startups be more successful. So we're constantly looking for ways to leverage uh, the strengths of the community and provide value to others out there to attract them and invite them to join our community as well. This is a theme that we come across again and again, is how can the IP community be proactive, be on the front foot around some of the things that are happening wider than IP to make sure that they can actually drive the agenda and not necessarily be dictated to? My whole life has been dedicated to the development, to the encouragement of the evolution of IP as an asset class. Communities like Lot Network are are what we are all looking to encourage. 2,100 heads of IP, 2,100 heads of patents is an enormous force for good. As you know, we work on open data initiatives around ownership of data. We work on patent information formats to go on into help with interoperability. We work on analytics to go and get better information. But look at the common theme here. It's all working together. Patents, leave aside patent trolls, patents get a bad reputation for being weapons to to carry the monopoly right to exclude. But look at the people inside the community. They're actually trying to do the right thing, to encourage innovation, to reduce risk. And that's what I think LOT, what Ken stands for. We've talked about the fact that PAE risk is here to stay. It's growing. So what does the future hold? I think the indications are that IP globally is getting stronger. As IP gets stronger as an asset, the risks associated with that asset class have to be taken more seriously because the consequences for not managing that asset only grow. You look at China. I've been amazed in my career at how seriously China has taken IP rights. Their legal system, they're now filing over 10,000 patent litigations a year. You look at Europe, despite Brexit and the setbacks that happened there, Europe is proceeding with the UPC, and it appears that Germany is now going to become kind of the, the central hub of it. And because of their bifurcation issue, I know a lot of NPEs are looking to buy German patents. And because of the power of the UPC and what it's going to raise the level and value of a European asset. European assets are only going to become more valuable, more powerful, more of a threat, if not managed properly. Certainly in the U.S., all indications are the pendulum is swinging and that patents are getting stronger. When people talk about patent reform, at least Congress, the judiciary, the White House, their focus and priorities are on issues other than IP, So I don't expect things to change much from those organizations. This illusion that there are different industries 
that somehow the auto industry is separate from the cellular industry, which is separate from the semiconductor industry, which is separate from life sciences. That's an illusion. The walls between industry have come down. And regardless of what industry you're in, you are now incorporating the technology of every other industry around you. An automobile is becoming a smartphone on wheels. And if you're the head of IP at a automobile company, you have to be just as savvy and sophisticated as the heads of IP at a phone company and have the same kind of resources and tools and strategy and are going to have the same kind of problems. Ken, thank you. This has been a broad ranging conversation. I now have the pleasure of asking you to give a key takeaway. What's your cipher vision for our listeners? CEOs need to take IP seriously and have a strategy for dealing with it. You cannot ignore this topic. You ignore this issue at your detriment. If you do not have an IP strategy and you just have your head in the sand, IP will bite you. You will get sued either by a competitor or by an NPE, and it may be the end of your business. And so you must take this topic seriously. The management of patent risk is now at the top of the agenda for IP leaders, but also under the scrutiny from the board and other executives, as Ken was just explaining. Patents protect innovation. So it's the very nature of patent rights that they create tension between competitors. But the digital and communications revolution has changed the game. Now risk can come from anywhere, startups, disruptors, China. But the PAE risk is different. It can rightly be characterized as self-harm. 87% of PAE assets come from operating companies, the same group who complain vehemently about PAE risk. Ken, thank you for the leadership that has enabled the LOT network to grow. This has not only mitigated risk for your 2,000 plus members, but is also a perfect example of industry taking control through collaboration to achieve the greater good. Thank you for the conversation, Ken. I enjoyed it. Thank you for your time and your listeners' time as well. Thank you for tuning into the Cypher Vision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag CypherVision and share your thoughts about today's episode on management of PAE patent risk.